if you've got a high handicapper that's trying to hit shots that they have no business trying to hit, hey, let's let's figure out an easier way to do this. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my partner in crime, Matt Cermak, our other co-host here with What's me. What's up, Ev? We just had your old college teammate. Yeah. On the show for a uh, mental Go game Bears. roundtable. A lot of good stuff in there. But first, guys, is your golf game off the rails? Sick of riding in the struggle bus? Oh, jeez. You come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Torpros, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like Daily Young and us today and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and finally get back on track. Now, before we get to this preview of this conversation with Daly Young, scratch player, been as good as plus four, three-time college winner, we forgot to mention that the par train is presented by Roback Performance Apparel. Our oh. friends at Roback were wearing it right now. I'm wearing the hoodie. You were in the vest. This is like quintessential us. You've got the hat and the vest. That's Matt's uniform. Yeah. I've got the hoodie. That's my uniform. Hoodie and every, joggers. That's all I Every have. day. Every day. Every day. You. I got, and I, got the, I got the green vest on St. Patty's last yeah. night. Yeah, I've Master, got Masters coming up. <laughs> yes. And speaking of that, they've got the uh, Masters uh, prints coming soon. It's the Azalea. They're one of their most popular shirts. It's just like Azalea flower print. I'm going to probably wear it to the Masters my first time going uh, this year. Wow. And um, speaking of the Masters, they're going to have a lot of good stuff. They're going to have Q-zips. They're going to have hoodies. They're going to have polos. So enter the code. Go to Roback.com. Enter the code TRAIN for 15% off. I don't think we're supposed to say this, but if you've already used it, enter a new email when you check out and enter the code TRAIN. Get yourself 15% off again. Don't be afraid to dig up your old Hotmail. <laughs> yeah. Your old SBC Global. <laughs> Create a new Hotmail. Maybe create a Yahoo, whatever you need to do. Get yourself 50% off. People are telling us every day that they're the best stuff. It's stretchy. It's soft. People, t I was wearing my new, I got my ninth hoodie uh, the other day. I got a black hoodie with he's, the- He's got nine lives. Nine I've hoodies. got nine. <laughs> I got the black hoodie with the gray uh, little drawstrings, and I wore it to meet people out for happy hour, and people were touching my arm. <laughs> and saying wow just a, really, just a so huge soft. scene at the bar just everyone huge is just seen at the bar people just touching <laughs> my sleeve saying how soft my hoodie was if that's not enough for you to go buy one i don't know what is and if so, you're a single guy or yes. girl you know you never know it, it yes. could be a great conversation starter one thing i want to add ev what's so great about roback it's like you were kind of getting to it. The special collections around events, the masters, yeah. they just had St. St. Patty's run, you know, for like, you know, yeah. shamrock stuff, the derby's coming up. Like the, another reason to keep your eye on rollback yeah. and get it, get a piece of, you know, apparel from them. That's like really fun. And you didn't expect. And I don't know about you, sir. They're probably one of the only companies that I look forward to getting their emails. Because yes. when I get their email, it's a new drop. They always do new product drops, and they don't and I can't wait to see what it is. They don't inundate you either, so there's always a little little suspense with them. Great point, yeah. Ev. Yeah. Um, and on the master's note, um, we haven't said this too 
widely, uh, too broadly, because we want it to be a surprise. But I'll say it here so the podcast listeners get a little, uh, a little secret. We are launching custom limited edition Partrain Masters hats. Oh, yeah. Now, here is the – I'm going to give you a little context here. Normally, I get the hats. We plan a launch day. I build anticipation. This year, it's going to be as soon as I get those hats, we're putting them on sale because I'm moving on Friday. There's going to be some up-in-the-air stuff. The The hats are going to arrive potentially after I move. So I need yeah. to talk to my current building, make sure they don't get lost, and I'm going to the masters a few days after they come in. So I can't ship them out the week I'm gone. So I'm going to need to put them on sale probably the Friday before the masters. I think it's yeah. April 1st um, or a little bit before well, then. So keep your eyes open on our Instagram and, and luckily, our Luckily, we got intern Hank. Intern Hank's to, gonna come up to get in. his hands dirty and problem yeah. solve like he always does. So, but Tara and I are going to be boxing up a crazy amount of hats the weekend before I leave for the Masters to try and get you guys those hats as soon as possible. So keep an eye on our Instagram and thepartrain.com uh, for our limited edition Masters hats. I'm telling you, they're going to sell out really fast. So um, stage is stage set. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about Daily Young. People love the roundtable formats. So we dug yeah. deep into his game. He's a he's been as good as a plus four, and we're trying to help the average player. So tell us about Daily. Well, Daily is one of my old college teammates at Missouri State, and one of my best buddies and friends over the years. Like we've had Ryan Winehouse on the show, who played at Missouri State, and Eric Straub played at Missouri State. It was great to have Daily on, Daily on and really talk through. His experience as a junior player, as a high school player, as a college player, and as a teacher. But, you know, guys, you know, Dells is a great player. A couple, a couple moments to go over from his resume over the years. He was in 2007, he was a Missouri State uh, high school champ, won by four shots. In 2007, he qualified for the U.S. Junior Championship, the most prestigious uh, junior championship in the world, qualified for match play, and won his first round in match play, made it to the final 32. He was recruited to play at Coastal Carolina. So he started at Coastal, where DJ played at, but then transferred to Missouri State his sophomore year. Um, as you mentioned, Ev, he's a three-time collegiate winner. Uh, he won tournaments at Kansas, Nebraska, and Kansas State. And uh, he finished with a 73 scoring average. Uh, and one, Second best scoring average, maybe Missouri State history. So right there. And then actually, he continued on to, to teach and be an assistant pro at Pinnacle Golf Club in uh, the Fayetteville area in Arkansas. And in 2019, he qualified and made the cut at the National Assistant Pro National Championship. So uh, quite a player. I've had a chance to play a lot of golf at Daly. I learned a lot from Daly over the years uh, about you know just how to approach the game, how to practice, how to think, how to stay calm. Um, and he was really a great leader for our team too. I mean, Daly was number one, you know, and uh, – and he deserved every minute. And he was just, it was fun to be alongside him because he, I call it daily a quiet leader, uh, very humble, um, and just a great example for all of his teammates. So Ev, what a thrill. It was, it was fun to dive in. I learned some things about him that I didn't know. What'd you think? I think it's interesting, sir. I think the average player might hear a guy that was the number one player on his college team, won multiple times, average 73 scoring average plus four handicap, whatever. And they might think that that guy just has it. Like, you know, 
that he's so good. Yeah. It's on another level than me. There's nothing I can learn because I just don't hit it good enough to be that good. And what I want people to know before they listen to this is I kept that in the back of my mind throughout the entire episode because everyone we interview like that, like this, that's really good. I want to unpack how they think. I want to unpack what was happening when he wasn't playing well versus what was happening when he was winning. Yeah. And a lot of what he talks about is about simplification and doing what is best for you. You know, finding your way of playing, finding what you're comfortable with and making the game easier, not harder. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was really interesting. This combination of being such a great player while also a teaching professional. I think that's also a really unique thing that we haven't had as very often on this show. Um, so he also dives into the importance of things he learned as a teaching pro, which I think will people will appreciate. I'll just say, like every conversation, uh, the best stuff usually comes starting the second half on, right? We got to set the scene a little bit. You guys got to learn about his background and what makes him him. And um, as we start getting into the groove of the conversation, that's when the nuggets really start to come out. So I encourage people to definitely listen to the end. Totally agree here. There's tons of nuggets about how to practice, but how to practice smart, right? How to manage your game. How to, we've talked about this a lot lately. How to, how to score even on those bad days when you don't want to be there and you don't feel it. And that's relevant for a, a plus four, an eight handicap, or a 25 handicap. Yeah. So absolute pleasure to have Daly on. He's one of the best guys we know, and he's always been a big fan and supporter of the park train. So great stuff. Well, if we've added any value um, from you guys hopping on the train, um, it means a lot if you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have Apple, give us a five-star review on Spotify. We want other people to be inspired by your story. So keep the messages coming on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at the park train. If you don't follow us there, we're putting up stuff four to five times a day, every day. Oh, yeah. Things that we don't talk about on this show. Um, so a lot of people have been getting better just from following us on Instagram, you know, yeah. that don't even listen to the show. So if you guys aren't following us there, definitely check us out. And no matter how down you get on yourself, no matter how frustrated you get, no matter how high the expectations are that maybe you aren't meeting, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. See you next week. Daily Young. It's not very often that we get a college teammate of Matthew Cermak. It's a pleasure to have you. Welcome aboard the train, Daily. Oh, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Hey, Dales. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Bef- throwing it back for old time's sake. Daily, before we dig in on you, and, you know, we were just talking off air. You've been as good as a plus four. You've won many tournaments before we're going to dig into all that stuff. Now you're around a, a point four or about a scratch trying to get back to the plus side before we dig in on you though. Can you give the listeners a little context on Serm? I mean, it's not very often that we get the, the teammate here. What do people need to know about Serm's game that maybe we haven't talked about on the show before? What is it like being Serm's teammate? This was unscripted by the way. This was unscripted. I did not tell him this. Well, Evan, I I think you would you can attest that if there's one word to describe Matt's game, it's grinder. Mm. He's he's always been that guy that's 
Uh, hits a lot of fairways. Gets it either on the green or close, but always manages to, to scrape it in and shoot a good number. And uh, when we played out in Arizona, I don't even know how many drivers he hits, but he was always in position, got it on the green, and found ways to make pars. Does he nice. hit that many fairways? Nice. I mean, at least from what he did I did in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot of a lot of punch three woods. Yeah, <laughs> he loves the punch three wood. Sometimes it, 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 day, but... sometimes it runs more. You know, it's not pretty, but Dale's is very. But I don't very nice you being in the rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take that, Ev. Okay, fair enough. I hit a I hit a fair amount of fairways in Florida, at least on the. No, that's true. That's true. Um. <laughs> All right, well, Serm, I want you to kind of kick it off because you guys have been teammates. You've known each other for a while. Missouri State, for everybody listening, is in Springfield, Missouri, and that's Daly's hometown. So, Dales, I told Evan off air, like, you know, you're very well known in the Ozarks, in the golf community. <laughs> and it's not just for your good looks. Um, but talk about maybe kind of growing up in the Ozarks, home of, you know, Springfield, Missouri, home of Paint Stewart, um, and, you know, how you grew up playing, where you practiced, and, you know, and how that all began. I was one of the Muni guys. I mean, I started at Bill and Payne Stewart golf course, uh, public course owned by the city of Springfield. And my parents got me in very young, four or five, but they did a great job of balancing all the sports. So I wasn't thrown in just to, directly to golf. I played baseball, basketball, football, a little bit of everything. And over time, when it seemed like golf was getting better, um, started to weed out some of the other sports and focus more on that. Even though playing in a public course, I had some great PGA professionals take me under their wing. Uh, Sean Freeman, Rick Grayson, Jeremy Weiss, a lot of guys that um, didn't have to, but you know, took an interest in, in me, my family, and, and maybe saw some potential and allowed me to come out and have some opportunities that a lot of other kids might not have and allowed me to uh, grow and they even took me out to the country clubs you know introduced me to the other golf professionals in Springfield and in southwest Missouri and so while I wasn't playing one country club every day I was able to get out and play all the country clubs and all the public courses and and make some great connections at a young age which only allowed me to to grow and kind of like you said got to Maybe got a little more notoriety in Springfield, but I, I credit Sean and, and Rick for, for helping me with that. And just so people know, Daly, how tall are you? 5'7". Five, 5'7". Seven. Five, seven. And what's I your average? Tall. I don't think he's taller than me. But, how, but go into it, Ev. How tall are you, sir? 5'7 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Daly, there's a reason behind this question. What do you average off the tee? Maybe 300 plus. I mean, yeah. I've heard definitely Dales plus. Dales has got some speed. I, I do always enjoy hearing how long Ryan hits it and then getting to play with Ryan. And then 15 <laughs> That's five. one of the guys that sold me. <laughs> Ryan, so our mutual best friend who we've talked about on this show a lot, he told me daily, you're probably the best player from the team. Um, of all the guys he's played with, you probably were the best. And he's always amazed by how it seems like you get because Ryan's what six three, and you outdrive him by twenty yards pretty regularly. He told me Ryan's not that strong. He doesn't have the speed. But here's the but the reason why I'm <laughs> asking this for the listener, right? I know we don't want to get too much into like technical stuff, but 
has that was that always the case or did you actually have to work on it and figure out how to get speed and get distance because it's not just speed it's the way that you know it's the strike it's 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 the angles the angles it's it's a lot of stuff so is that something you had to work on no, I, I think a lot of it was just maybe not as much self-taught. I mean, I, I did have a lot of instruction growing up, but maybe using cut-down clubs growing up didn't didn't have U.S. kids or custom junior sets, but some cut-down steel adult clubs, and maybe that helped develop some lag and swing yeah. a certain way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of naturally had some speed and some – um, some dyna- dam- dynamic lofts holding that angle. Um, I would say more than anything, I, I didn't really work on that. It just kind of happened, which allowed me to work on other areas. Mm. Yeah. Well, Dale's, I mean, you, you, you growing up in Springfield, you were playing a lot of tournaments. You got into high school. You really had, I think, as you said, it off air, so, you know, whether it was a mental breakthrough kind of in your high school career and some great success, you were a great player, but maybe not winning as much as you thought. So, so talk about that a little bit, because as you know, on this show, we love finding nuggets and how other players have had great breakthroughs in their game. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with this show, we talk a lot about um, breaking through mentally and no matter what the goal is, whether it's a score, whether it's hitting certain shots or doing certain things, golf. Um, yeah. For, for me, my goal was, you know, get a high school win. And it, I was playing against a lot of good players, um, knocked on the door, but couldn't get over the hump and, and didn't get a high school win until state my junior year. Um, but then I think, you know, with a lot of other players that you guys have listening to the show, once that happens, whether their goal is to break 80 and they do it for the first time, you see a lot of, that that pattern continue um because the the weight is off your shoulders mentally you're freed up and then i kind of went into a a great summer that led some led to uh, the u.s junior and and getting some good offers to go to college and uh, which took me out to coastal and then play a role in in me coming back to missouri state but uh yeah it's it's all about breaking through not only with your game but but mentally breaking through but Dale, so let's go back, right? So for context, state championship in Missouri as a junior, if you can kind of think back then, you knew you were good enough to hang, to potentially win. But what was it about that week? And you won by four shots. What clicked? I don't know. And if it, if it came down to the last hole and it was a one-shot lead, maybe things happened differently. Maybe just uh, having a, a big cushion on that second round helped settle the nerves and allowed me to prevail. Um, not really sure, but after you do have that win under your belt, um, you do feel proven, feel like you can do it again. And then you just continue to ride that high and, and keep playing the golf that you have known you're capable of playing, but maybe didn't have the result until you finally get it. I was thinking the other day, guys, I'd say – over 95% of the things that tour pros use on a day-to-day basis, they either get for free or they're either paid to use it. Now, this is why it's this is so exciting. This company I'm about to talk about, Bryson DeChambeau pays for. 
out of his own pocket. Jordan Spieth pays for out of his own pocket. Kirk Cousins pays for out of his own pocket in the NFL. And I got a chance to go through this experience and test their new product too. So I could tell you how it's helping me, but also more importantly, how it could help you. They're called NeuroPeak Pro. They're all about brain and breath performance. They It's called Precision Breathing. And we actually did a podcast with the director of golf performance named Andy Matthews. Uh, he's the guy out on tour with all the guys every week. And if you want to go and listen to that episode, definitely go back and search for NeuroPeak Pro, the par train. It'll pop right up. But they just launched this brand new product called the Intel Belt. And, you know, I've known these guys for years. And so this was really exciting. Uh, we've been talking for a while. And I think this is finally the right time for us to share this with you because Jordan Spieth calls this thing the scientific way to help you get out of fight or flight and get into the zone. So what is their Intel belt and how does it work? Well, the NeuroPeak Pro Intel belt is really the first of its kind. It's a real-time training device and mobile app designed to help unlock peak performance, that's something we all like, right, through better, more intentional breathing. They call it precision breathing, again. So essentially, it's worn around your torso, and you use the NeuroPeak app and instructional guides to guide you through the training sessions and on-course uh, application designed to help optimize our ability to respond to stress and unlock this zone-like performance. You know, that thing that we've been in before, but we don't really know how to get there. Well, that's what's so exciting is this is a scientifically proven way to make sure that you're breathing in the correct way. Okay, I've taught meditation at Uber when I worked there. And look, everyone says, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Well, look, whether you want to call it meditation or you just want to do a three-minute breathing exercise to get into the zone before you play golf, like whatever works for you. But I just used it. I'm amazed in my first few tries. I did a standard meditation and three-minute breathing exercise. And I think it's kind of like training wheels to make sure I'm on the right track. So while I'm breathing, there's actually this moving graph that shows where my breath is and where it could be. So for all you guys working on your mental game, which is probably all of you if you're listening to the show, imagine how dangerous you could be if you had this secret weapon in your back pocket that no matter what's working for you that day, if you're feeling stressed or just off or feeling the pressure, you can go back to your breathing, but in a scientifically backed, proven way. Okay, so Andy and I were talking. He told me, and this was crazy, that most people breathe 15 to 18 breaths a minute. That's about three times faster than what the heart is designed to do and does in the zone. So it's actually supposed to be six breaths a minute, which is crazy. So I'm telling you guys, go to neuropeakpro.com, enter the code TRAIN. You'll get a free annual subscription to their dashboard, which basically just helps you dive into your performance in an even deeper way. And that's specifically and only for Partrain listeners. And... I'm telling you guys, we don't just partner with anyone. I've turned down plenty of partnership inquiries. I only pick people that are proven in the industry that I'm genuinely interested in that I think you guys would love. And for anyone looking to like really take their performance to the next level, not just on the course, but just become a happier, more centered, calm human in life, go to neuropeakpro.com, enter the code TRAIN for a free annual subscription, get the Intel belt. And we can go through this together. I'm going to document my experience over these next couple months. And I'll continue to get, keep you guys updated. But I'm super excited to have them on board. Again, neuropeakpro.com. Enter the code TRAIN for a free annual subscription to their Dash. All right, guys. Let's get back to the show. Ev, we've talked about this. Dales, you said it was comfortable to play with the lead. Some people struggle to play with lead, whether you're on tour or whether you're playing in your 
member member game or with your buddies. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's a cliche. We hear about it a lot of like the floodgates opening, right? Daily, you got one win that empowered you to win state in high school. And I want to try and articulate what that means to me. I'm, I'm going to say what I think you tell me if this is in line with maybe what, if it rings true to you, um, I'll relate it to a golfer who's trying to break 80 because I've been through that. And I remember for years shooting the eighties, 81s, 82s. I remember I was going through the same pattern of changing my approach as I got closer to that goal, right? So I would get excited and or nervous, try and hang on, play entirely different to the way I played through 17 or 16. However, I consistently came up short. I think maybe what changed when I broke it is I no longer was creating this false narrative and putting it on a pedestal of making it mean too much because I've done it before. Does that ring true as to what the floodgates opening actually means? Like you're making less of a thing of the win because you've already done it. So now you can just kind of go play and, and do your thing. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're trying to accomplish a goal, no matter what the goal is, whether you're trying to break a certain score or win for the first time, it's all trial and error. I mean, every time you put yourself in a position, you try to do whatever it takes to accomplish that goal. And if it doesn't work, well, then you reflect on that. And that's kind of where all the learning comes into play. You, you, you learn by sometimes failing or not accomplishing the goal but it sets you up for the next time you're in that situation. And so with, with guys that are trying to break a, a personal best or um, whatever the case may be, I think a lot of times it's not as much focusing in the moment, which it's important, but reflecting afterwards. And whether you're keeping your stats, whether you're thinking back, you know, where it went wrong in the round, um, as long as you can think about that, It'll put you in an even better position for the next time, and you'll, I feel, get that much closer to accomplishing your goal. So you're not just playing rounds. You're actively learning after each round. I don't think a lot of people do that. Obviously, we say, oh, if I wouldn't have three-putted. Right. You go through your mistakes. mistakes. Yeah. But a lot of people don't go beyond just a mistake. I think what you're saying is you understand why you made a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Early on, one of the best lessons I learned uh, that my – Coach Rick Grace told me was, I think it was after I lost a tournament, but he said, what was the most important shot? And let's say, let's say it was a 72. What was the most important shot? And I tried to think about what was the most important shot. And he cut me off and said, all of them. Yeah. They all played a role oh. in the score that you shot. So I think stressing over I like that. the one three putt or the bad drive, because a golfer never goes out and emphasizes well, they should, but they don't. On all the good shots that they hit, they focus on the negative ones. That's just kind of how the brain works. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot on, on your show about there's not enough focus on the positive. A lot of it is, is the negative, but they all played a role of adding up to the score that you shot. My coach growing up, John Reese, he, always, he used to trick us too like that. He used to say, what shot do you make a par with on a par five? And we'd go, oh, it's got to be the second shot. You know, like, you, know, you got to set yourself up. You go, no, it's the fifth shot, right? You could hit four bad shots 
hit a great fish shot if you treat it as just as important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Rick, you've always talked about Rick Grayson is so instrumental to your kind of golf upbringing. How did Dales? I'm curious. How did he get you to think about practice going to college? Because I think practice is just something you were so good at uh, watching you as a teammate. You always get the most out of your practice days. And doesn't mean you're hitting the most balls. It's just, you know what you're working on. You know what the goal is. You know what's ahead of you. Yeah, it's a great question because I think, and it's not something that always has to remain constant. I feel like growing up, I learned the best and I developed the best from playing more than practicing, Hmm. learning how to score. I feel like in today's day uh, day and age, golfers get too fixated on how their swings look and what their club head speed is and maybe equipment where, yeah, you know, take the simulators, simulators out of it and get to the golf course. Let's learn how to score. Um, so I think growing up, that played a big part of is me playing more than I practice and setting those goals, personal bests, how I wanted to to play and to score because so many times I would shoot around where I didn't, I didn't hit it great, but I scored better than maybe a day where I flushed it, but the putts didn't go in. So I think by the more repetitions you have actually on the golf course, you learn how to score. Um, and then, but that trans that transitions to once you do have that, well, then you can start focusing on the areas you need to get better at. Maybe it's your driving, maybe it's your, your pitching, your chipping, putting. Um, and I feel like once I got into college, I played less and I practiced more. And you're absolutely right, Matt. You don't always have to hit the most amount of balls to have the most effective practice. If you have drills that you're working on or something you're trying to accomplish within your practice, um, you, can, you can only hit 30 golf balls, but if you're – doing the right things, whether it's pre-shot routines or drills or finding something that you're able to take to the golf course, it can be a very effective practice with limited balls hit. What mistakes were other people making? And maybe this doesn't even need to be college. It could translate to your teaching days too. And I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to college because I want to talk about your wins too. But a lot of people will hear things like, I just learned how to score or drills And they don't really know what that means for them, right? And obviously, every single person's different, different drills for different types of games and things they're working on. But anything that you think is more universal that the average player doesn't do enough of, that you did more of in college? Well, I consider myself lucky in college where um, I had early success in the season so that I was exempt from qualifying. I think qualifying is the hardest part of being on a college team because sometimes getting in the tournament is so grueling that once you get to the tournament, you're spent. I know all about this. Mm. My life was qualifying because I was playing for the number four and five spot and Daly was always number one, right? But I digress. It was a great. <laughs> well, let's talk about this more because I think this is really interesting for people. Talk about help people that understand because people think you're on the college golf team, you're on the college golf team. So help people understand what qualifying was and what that process was like. Well, depending on you know what kind of team that you're on, a lot of times you're nine or ten players and only five guys typically go to the tournament. And 
at the beginning of the year, normally everybody qualifies and different coach, different rules. But if you do well at a tournament, you might have an exemption for the next tournament. Um, but then that normally opens the door for a few of the other guys, you know, the six or seven others to, to qualify for the remaining spots. Um, and that could be a, a one day qualify qualifier, two days, three days. Um, but it, it is grueling because yeah, it's a round of golf, but, but what's it following? Maybe a test, maybe a, you know, a long day of class, uh, workouts that morning. So you have to, you know, have your morning of, of school and then you got to get out there and, and go put on your game face and try to try to play your best round to get onto the traveling team. So it, it's a grind. And, you know, I had, I, I went to two different schools and my first, my first university, I, I was more the qualifier, you know, and I, I had to, to grind and, and play my way onto the team a lot. And when I got there, I didn't perform. And I knew how much pressure there was because if I didn't perform, I'd be right back qualifying the very next week. Um, so I, I said earlier with a little bit of luck, you know, when I got to Missouri State, had some early success where I didn't have to qualify. And that allowed me to practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when the other guys were qualifying and I could work on the things that I needed to work on to get ready for the tournament. And then when I got to the tournament, I wasn't burnt out. I was pretty fresh from not having to play all those days previously. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that for the listeners. So we'd go play a tournament. Sunday would be the practice round. Monday would be 36. Tuesday would be 18. And then we'd go drive home maybe fly home if it was in the winter, but most of the time drive home and then get back to campus late at night on Tuesday. You got Wednesdays an off day, but you got to get catch up, catch up on your schoolwork on your classes that you missed on Monday and Tuesday. And then if it's me who just traveled, didn't have the best tournament Thursday morning, 6am workouts, go play 18, go 6am workouts, class, lunch, 18 finished at 7:30, and then go play another 18 on Friday for like a 36 hole qualifier to then potentially leave again Saturday night or Sunday morning. So, you know, oh. so it was a it was a premium, as Dale's was saying, um, <laughs> just to play to play good golf, and then hoping then your coach has faith in you where you know what you don't need to qualify. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll get you right back to the show. We've got a brand new partner that you guys are going to absolutely love. I guarantee it. So I got a bold statement here before I get into this. I believe that one of the most, if not the most, most underrated piece of apparel or garment that we wear during golf rounds is the belt. Hank was actually joking with me off air. He said that he wears the same belt for everything. And I realized I was kind of doing the same thing. I kind of had this like gray woven stretchy belt that I I liked for golf. And I kind of wore it for everything. And it's kind of funny. It's like I'm not in college anymore. You know, like obviously I have a dress belt for when I go to a wedding or something. But other than that, I pretty much use the same belt for everything. My belt was kind of just like an add-on. It was more functional it wasn't really adding much to the outfit. So you could wear something pretty standard, striped shirt, khaki shorts, but the belt could actually make make your outfit with like a little bit of flair, you know? And that's what I love. And that this is why we started working with Roosta's belts, okay? Roosta's belts, we met at the PGA show. 
And we told them, we said, you know, the Partrain family needs a belt sponsor. We need a belt partner that we genuinely love. We need the best belts out there. And Roosters was that for us. Okay. They make unbelievable belts. And I think the best belts out there. Okay. I actually got, so I got two of them. I got the Oahu belt, which is a black belt with little white specks in them. And I got the Bandon, which is a subtle green with white accents. Now, here's how I chose the belts. Obviously, it's tough in a podcast to figure out you know, what they look like. So I want you to go to shoproostas.com. That's R-O-O-S-T-A-S, Roostas, shoproostas.com. Enter the code TRAIN. You get 15% off your entire order plus free shipping. Okay, that's big. Now, here was what was in my mind selecting my belts, okay? I wanted something that would pretty much go with everything but can give me that little piece of flair, add and elevate my outfit just a little bit. You know, if you want to go obnoxious, they have those options too. Obnoxious probably isn't the word, probably more flashy, right? But I wanted something that adds a little bit of flash, but it isn't super loud. You know, it's more subdued. So I went with the Oahu, which is black with white specks and the Bandon with green. And I think I'm going to probably wear the Bandon to the Masters. But they are super stretchy, high quality. Uh, it's actually two-toned woven elastic stretch belts with a crossing pattern braid, uh, if that's what you get. The buckle is 100% genuine leather and alloy zinc um, for the metal piece. And guys, they are, they've got a bunch of colors that align kind of with different colleges. And I'm telling you, I'm really excited about sharing this with you guys because I know you're going to absolutely love it. And it's probably the thing in your ensemble. I know a lot of you are buying Roback stuff. This is the way to elevate your Roback outfits and elevate your outfit. Okay. I'm telling you, go to shoproostas.com, enter the code train, get 15% off your entire order, plus free shipping and elevate that outfit. Look good, feel good, play good, baby. I'm telling you, again, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, we are only bringing people on this show as partners that we know that you will love. I take every product that wants to work with us and I take it through rigorous testing and make sure it's top-notch quality and something I genuinely want to wear. And Roostas is now my go-to belt. And a lot of people are DMing us all the time saying they can't believe how good this stuff is uh, when we share Roback and other things. And it just makes me laugh that people don't believe me. So I'm telling you, I would not steer you wrong, okay? Shoproostas.com. Enter the code TRAIN. Get yourself 15% off plus free shipping. You guys will not regret it. All right, let's get back to the show. This might be a naive, ignorant statement, so forgive me, but... Do all the coaches do that much golf of qualifying? Because to me, like, why would I want to burn my team out before I even get to what matters? That seems like a lot. Well, it's it's pretty common. Dale's, I mean, you can elaborate on this. Every coach is different. But it wasn't every player that was qualifying. Sometimes it was just two or three guys. If you got eight, if you got nine guys on a team, there's five traveling. Sometimes it's four, four playing for one spot. You know, or five playing for two, but but Dale, yeah, why I mean, wouldn't it just be yeah. one eighteen hole, you know, qualifier and like it's a good, let it's people a, get back to practice? It's a fair question. Every coach has a style. What do you think, Dales? Well, I think I think the coaches try to lengthen out the qualifying process because they feel like maybe the 
the most deserving player or the best player will rise over a 36 or 54 hole Got it. Uh, qualifier rather than just, you know, somebody gets hot for 18. But, and you also see later in the season, that's when qualifying typically goes away. The coach has a general idea of who his best five guys are, or maybe the qualifiers go down to, like Matt said, one player or two players. Um, but yeah, towards the end of the season, when it gets closer to the, the conference tournaments or, or regional or something, a lot of times you might not have qualifying that late in the season. Yeah. So let's real quick, let's unpack the mental side of you talked about coastal Carolina where you played first, a lot of qualifying you transferred back home, Missouri state, less qualifying. You won three times in college. I want to talk about the mental grind of knowing that you need a certain result to get what you want, i.e. play in the tournament and the weight that that carried and the effect that had on your game when you were qualifying more versus what you learned at Missouri State when you didn't have that burden. I think that's really interesting because a lot of us kind of treat every round like a qualifier in a way of we're constantly using it's our result so, it's so important as a this burden. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, I think this is really important. Well, for me, it was a comfort factor. Uh, when I was at Coastal, um, fantastic university. I mean, beautiful Conway, Myrtle Beach, everything was great. And the team was very good. Um, but the coach just wasn't the best coach for me. Now, he would later play a, a role in, in me becoming a teaching professional. But at the time, he wasn't the best for me because he wanted to coach all of his players. And he really didn't like uh, the players having their own coaches, um, two conflicting ideas. Um, so it didn't work great for me. But when I transferred back, I was able to get back with, with, with Rick. Um, and a lot of times Rick did more for my golf game from the mental side than the technical side. Um, just by instilling, you know, my, me to have self-confidence and belief and, you know, you've done it before you can do it again. And sometimes that's, that's just as important as being technically sound and having the best swing or anything like that. So I think the comfort of, of having that again allowed me to start playing and start believing in myself again, and which translated to instant success. Well, and, and then our coach at Missouri State, Neil Stafford, you know, who you knew, Dales, who brought you over, over to the team, I think you know, it's safe to say he, he let you do your thing you know, and, and he knew how good you were and wanted to put you in a good position. And I always thought Neil was, was really good at letting us, you know, do what we kind of know how to do. And he created a great culture within our team. And, but that's what you needed because you were overcoached, right? Absolutely. And I, yeah, very hands-on coach at, at Coastal. Neil was more hands-off. He was always there. He would always be there to help if you w wanted someone to give you direction on practice. Um, or just to talk to somebody, one of the better putting coaches I've ever come across. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a great putting coach. Best putters I've ever seen. <laughs> um, helped me tremendously. But he, he had a great way of being, if you needed him to be hands-off, he was hands-off, or, you know, what can I do for you? And he treated everyone 
he gave them the tools that they needed. And that's what you have to do as, as a college coach. And um, I think it's a, it's a big thing. It showed from our team. Um, you know, everyone had the success they had. They went about it in different ways. You know, it wasn't one player, one swing. It was, you know, Matt, if you want to work with your coach in Chicago or Rick Neal or whoever, go for it. And I'm, I'm here to help. Yeah. And Evan, you've taken a lot of lessons, you know, and so this dynamic, and you can share a lot about that. It's a dynamic where all these players come in with their own coaches and every coach has their own style. And then you take these college coaches who know a lot, you know, and there's a lot of ways to teach the golf swing and it can be positive, not positive. It's an interesting dynamic. Well, it sounds to me daily that there was a lot of, um, tension and burden and expectations and maybe being encouraged to be someone you weren't at Carolina. Whereas it sounds like at Missouri state, you were given a little bit of, I feel freedom from you. It feels like you were given more freedom to kind of double down on who you are and play your game. And you won three times. Is that a fair assessment? Of the differences? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Co- Coastal, I mean, the great program. The um, year before I got recruited there, they finished fourth in the country. This was before the match play format. Dustin Johnson just came through there. A lot of really good players that went on to many tours. Um, so it was a very solid program. Um, I was really lucky to, to get the opportunity to play there and play alongside some really good players. Um, but I think once I came back, I realized, you know, golf isn't the end of the world. Uh, I'm I'm still a student first. There's life outside of college. And and even if I don't try to pursue the PGA tour or many tours, uh, it's going to be a great experience. These four or five years with great group of friends. And I think Matt, you can attest one of the best things about Missouri state is not what you're there for your four or five years, but you know, we're all on the same text chain that has gone on 10 plus years past Missouri State. So um, that's where I, I really, it all plays a role of, of your life story and, um, and everything happens the way it should for a reason. Uh, but yeah, the, the freedom, getting back to that, definitely more, more freedom at Missouri State and just kind of allowed me to have fun and enjoy the game and for me, play my best golf our mental game mailbag this past week, we were talking about how golf can to certain guys who called in golf can be the end of the world. (laughs) Any round at any time it can, you can feel like the loneliest, most angry person. And at any level, at any handicap, we're talking about daily, one of the great college players. And we're talking about people are just starting the game. You know, it's a, it's a battle. Well, I think what's interesting daily is, Obviously, your example was college, and you know I've heard a ton. Brett McCabe, sports psychologist for John Rahm, we've had on the show three times. He played college baseball and talked about how he wishes he could get back and play, and how in the moment you put so much pressure on yourself that you don't enjoy it. And I know not everyone listening to the show played college sports, but I think the lesson there, and I've tweeted this before, it's like. It's got to be more than just about a score in the end. 
right? Like, if you tell me tomorrow I can never play golf again, like, am I going to remember my 74, my low score, or am I going to remember all of the time and conversations we've shared about this game and the rounds with people you love? And, you know, I don't want to get too meta, but I think it, talking about helping people free up a little bit, ask yourself why you play. You know, get out of the result for a second and actually try and enjoy the playing of it, you know? And so I want to take that and transition to your wins because daily, I want to really dig into your mind here of like, look, you just transferred. It would have been easy for you to put a lot of pressure on yourself, new program. You want to perform, you want to institute Being in your yourself. hometown, hometown. People know you. Like that could have come with a lot of expectations and pressure, but it sounds like you did the opposite. So I want to understand the mental switch that happened that allowed you to win three times in D1 college golf. Not a lot of people have done that. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because I think it kind of goes back to similar to the high school experience breaking through that first year at Missouri state. I played well, um, made a lot of top tens, top twenties. Got close a few times, but couldn't break through. Um, But then that something clicked and whether it's, you know, a book you read uh, for me, it was the golf sacred journey that I, that I read the summer between my first and second year at Missouri state. I applied that to, you know, was writing the SFT on the golf ball and really applying all those lessons. And then I, I come, I come right out of the gates and, uh, win the first two events the fall of my, my second year at Missouri State. SFT, Dallas, tell everybody. Yes, see it, feel it, trust it. And really going through that process of the pilot's checklist, you know, making sure you're, you're visualizing, um, you're rehearsing it, and then you get up there and do it. Uh, it. It worked for me and makes you wonder why you stopped doing those things if you had success. But, um, yeah, that, that was a great season. But, you know, after that first win, it clicked. Very next week, got another one, and then that was it was a great, that was a great season. Once one domino falls, that you can keep doing it. Well, Dale's something I was always so impressed with you, and for the context for listeners, you're very even keeled on the course. Um, you're almost a little Patrick Cantley like, a little more emotion than that, but you have a really consistent, you know, mindset outlook. And you don't get too up or too down. And that, that's the, that you have to work on that because we're all emotional in our own ways. And we're not, I'm not here to sit here and say it's bad to show emotion. That's better for some players. But we're always impressed. You just didn't – you grinded it out so well. You didn't have those really high numbers. You figured a way to get it in the hole on, even when you didn't have it. And you don't do that, you know, if you can't – if you struggle to control your emotions out there. And so talk about that. No, I think it's funny, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I think I'm a very different style of player in competition and then just a fun round with, with the guys. Right. Uh, when, the, when the tournament is happening, when the lights are on, I was pretty, pretty even keel, and that's, you know, growing up, my, my dad, you know, he put some sports psychology books in my hand, you know, Zen Golf. Um, Love that. Bella books. Um, so it's funny when listening to your, your guys' shows and, and hearing those authors and um, or psychologists that you grew up reading, I mean, it, it resonates and it's, it's helpful. And once you get to a place where 
you realize, hey, this isn't the end of the world, whether I make this putt, whether I shoot this score, it's just another day uh, and just a game. Um, it really helps you kind of clear your mind and, and almost relax and take the tension away and put you in a better headspace for sure. And not get you up or down, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if you beat yourself up, well, then we're on the bogey train and we want to be back on the park train. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing I noticed when I watched the Ryder Cup is I watched Fleetwood do it. I watched Rom do it. I watched Sander do it. I forget what hole it was. Maybe it's 14 or something uh, at Whistling Straits. It's that super long, tucked into the corner, par three, water right. Just as as intimidating of a of a shot, especially with side wind right on Lake Michigan, you know, that you can imagine. And these guys, I noticed, I know they're the best, but the thing that they all did in common is some of them would hit it off the cliff and it would go down the cliff. And they're just like, they just walk towards the ball and they go find it in the shit. And then they just do their best to get up and down. And it's not like a, there's no embarrassment. There's no like, I'm the number six player in the world. I shouldn't be airmailing it. They, there's almost this like unrelenting acceptance that that stuff happens. And I'm going to go find it because I believe in my short game and let's go make par. Absolutely. It seems like you have that. Well, I mean, think about the legend of Bagger Vance. I mean, you can't pick up that ball, you know, you, you got to keep <laughs> playing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to go try to get the best score possible. And, and, you know, that's one thing that I would try to help with my students that I end up coaching is, you know, let's, let's try to make a, a bad situation better, not worse. You know, let's, let's mm. play smarter. Um, That's good. So, yeah. So walk us through that Dales for the listeners. Cause you talked about playing lessons were very, very, you know, crucial for you and your students to really learn out there. Yeah. So as I transitioned into a, a teaching pro at a local club here in Northwest Arkansas, um, a lot of beginners want, you know, just one lesson. That's, that's fine. And as we get into it, I really tried to upsell the three lesson package because I think it's really important to work on the swing. Of course, everyone wants to work on the swing, but really try to get that second lesson into the short game. And then once you develop chipping and putting and they see how important that is, you combine both of those and get out of the golf course. And we kind of talk about strategy, course management, how to play, how to make you know, bad situations better, not worse. You know, a lot of times changing their mindset of, you know, a mid handicapper, if they get hit a wayward tee shot, hey, let's change the par to, you know, it used to be a par four, let's play it as a par five. A lot That's of times if you, if you play, play smart, get it back in position, and even if you make a bogey, well, you didn't make double, you didn't make triple. Um, so so a lot of times it's, it's changing the way you think around the golf course if you're out of position, limiting the strokes. And uh, I, I taught a lot of high handicappers where, you know, they struggled breaking 100, and I would just change the par to if we were par 71. I'd say, hey, let's, let's try to break bogey golf. You know, let's make every par a bogey. And then they started, hey, I should have 95 or something where they couldn't break 100 before because they're – they're not fixated on, oh, I'm supposed to get a three on this hole. I'm supposed to get a four. Mm. You stop thinking what the score, score says, the scorecard, and you start just trying to get it close to the green or you know, 
on the green, two putts, um, you start to see scores come down. Yeah, that is good. I think uh, Dr. Joe Parent talks about that too, of changing the scorecard, which then, you know, again, going to my point about like Fleetwood not saying, oh, I'm the number nine player in the world. I shouldn't be doing that. The average player is like, this is a par four. I can't believe I'm making sixes. You know, like it makes it a little bit more um, digestible almost. But I'm curious daily, like when people hear things like I learned how to score, I can feel my our listeners thinking things like, yeah, but how can I score when I'm hitting an OB or how can I score when I'm hitting four greens around, you know, and all these things. What did you see with those high handicappers? Beyond just changing their mindset with the scorecard, anything in particular you had them focus on on the course in playing lessons to help them score? Well, I think one area that really helped me as a, as a teacher was figuring out what type of learning style was best for that student. Because a lot of golfers process things different ways. Um, some guys are analytics. Some people need to feel something. Um, but for me, the best advice I could give was through analogies. So when they took it to the golf course, they could try to feel something. They could try to, you know, have a certain rehearsal swing where they were trying to feel it and they were able to repeat it as the round went on. Um, whether it's, you know, feel like you're throwing a medicine ball. So it makes you turn your body and not lift your arms and hands or, or whatever the analogy is, but if you can if you can feel something and you can do it in a pre-shot routine, something you can repeat, you know, you might have a better chance of not just getting lost on the golf course and chalking it up to a bad day and throwing the round away. You can still grind all 18 holes and if you have something you're you're depending on. Yells, did you have a lot of your players vocalize some let's say some of maybe your single digit handicappers or uh, low 80 shooters vocalize what they wanted to do. Cause I found myself doing that a lot as a kid with my coach or, Hey, what's the shot? You know, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? What's your target? Because we talk about vocalization a lot on this show and it, it can be helpful when you kind of talk through what you need to do. Absolutely. Because you find out right away if the golfer is not specific enough with what they want to try to do, or sometimes they're way too over-analytical. Um, you know, if you've got a high handicapper that's trying to hit shots that they have no business trying to hit, hey, let's let's figure out an easier way to do this. You know, I think you guys talked <laughs> on your, uh, you know, chipping away when, when Evan, you kind of had your, your breakthrough with, with chipping and pitching. You know, why would I get out there and trying to bump and run a seven iron if I've never practiced this? Right. You know, let's play the percentages. Let's play the shot I'm most comfortable with in the round. Now, after the round, you can go practice everything you need to, to work on. But when you're on the golf course and you're trying to beat a personal best or shoot a good score, that's where I don't think it's a great idea to, hey, let's, let's try something here. Well, no, let's just play the percentages. What's best for you in that circumstance with the lie? Let's get it on the green. Let's limit the, let's limit the number of strokes. Sermon, it's funny, right? Like 
how much, if people took nothing else from this episode, and we heard this from Rick Sessinghouse of what Colin Morikawa talks about a lot. Like, this is how Colin Morikawa plays golf right here. Ready? What he's comfortable with. <laughs> like, if people did nothing else but hit the shot they're comfortable with, they would probably shave a lot of strokes just because with comfort comes commitment. Well, right. And in the range feels different than the course. You talk about that a lot, Ev. And when you're practicing, you try to get more comfortable with different shots. But when you're out there, and if you're not comfortable with the shot, Dales, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually, it's, it's, it's so true. Daily, what you kind of mentioned with our short game episode, that's kind of your see it, feel it, trust it. I wasn't doing enough feel like with around the greens. Like I was getting so technical with what I thought the proper motion was to help my contact that I wasn't even seeing it. I wasn't feeling it. Now I can trust it because I have to feel it through the grass first. And I don't think I had that in my pre-shot routine. Like, cause I usually, I try and play fast. I didn't want to get caught up in too many practice swings, but now around the greens, like I need to feel it and make sure this is the right shot. It's right. Familiar. Yeah, in front of my stance, back my stance, the right club. Does it feel like it's going through the grass okay? Now it's so much easier to trust it. You know, where before, I feel like everyone else gets caught up in what I was doing for so many years, which is you get so technical and you're not actually visualizing or trying to test the thing you're about to do, which then leads to comfort, which leads to trusting and commitment. Yeah, that's one thing I always told my students, especially with keeping and pitching, is don't hit the shot until you've rehearsed what you want to do. So if, if it's chipping or pitching, if you make a practice swing and you don't brush any grass, well, don't go right into it because you're going to nail it in the forehead. You're going to blade it across the green. You know, make a, pre, make a practice swing that feels good, that emulates the contact that you want, and, and then after you do that, then hit the shot because you're going to feel confident with what you just did on the practice swing, and you'll be able to do it probably more frequently on the real swing. It's so true. And Dale's, you know, as we play more like casual golf, like we did a couple of weeks ago in Arizona, I, there's times out there I'm trying to hit a draw or I'm trying to hit something low and my practice swings aren't even showing that I'm just, you know, there's this idea of getting loose with your practicing, but you're tr golf specific. You, you, you can't go through the motions. You've got to feel and rehearse what you need to do. Like it's, it's a simple concept, but like your mind is, is off in stupid places and you're not preparing yourself for the shot correctly. What, what's crazy. Yeah. Justin Thomas. I mean, like when he's trying to fade the ball, you know, he takes that, he takes the club away and he looks where his, his hands are. Right. You know, if they're outside, yeah. if they're inside, he's not going to fade that ball. No. You know, that's, that's a flatter swing. That's going to probably be more of a draw or straight shot. Not going to, curve left to right like you want so yeah practice the way you want to play go through the go through the pre-shot routine you know make sure it's don't just go through the motions because a lot of times you won't have success if if you're not practicing with a purpose i know we're almost at time but i want to sum up for the listeners think about your golf before you won let's just use in college for this example and think about your mindset. Is there anything very specific, one or two things that you think you started to do differently when you won 
two to three times? Just in your mindset. Yeah, a couple of things that we've already talked about today that were really huge for me were playing the shots that I was most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't have to hit a fade if the the shot goes left to right. You know, you can you can still hit your natural shot if you're confident with it. And so that was a big one for me, and and really trying to to limit that two way miss and eliminate one side of the golf course. Yep. And you know, sometimes I would show up to the course and my miss was right. And sometimes I would show up and my miss was left. But if you, if you take note of that on the range prior to the round, you go out there and you can, you can play accordingly and not spend the entire round and waste the front nine or how many holes trying to hit the shot that you want. Too many golfers, <laughs> they don't play the shot that they show up with. You know, they spend the entire front nine trying to hit a draw when, you know, they've got a little push going on or miss to the right. And next thing you know, how many times do you hear, oh, I shot 45-37. I figured it out on the back nine. Right. Well, what if you could have figured that out on hole two or three and, you know, it could have been a 38-37. As we kind of conclude here, you know, those three wins, you there's no doubt you feel pressure out there. You know you're in it. And when you know where your miss is going to go in the heat of the moment, quote unquote, that is huge right? It's not about hitting always the most amazing shots, it's, but it's, it's about limiting those misses under the gun. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if, you, if you step up on the tee and you're not 100% confident to the, the shot that you've picked out, if you have any doubt in your mind or if you're thinking about any of the, the penal areas, it's going to be tough to overcome that. I mean, you have to really be dialed in and focused on the shot at hand, what you're trying to accomplish. And that's what I've always kind of passed along to, to my students is, you know, trying to be more positive, look at the, the things we want to do, not what we don't want to do. Yeah. And, uh, I tend to be more of the, the, the positive guy, not the, not the negative guy. And I don't like to think about bunkers or, or penalty areas or out of bounds of more of, you know, Hey, let's, let's focus on the fairway. Let's focus on the, the big part of the green, you know, let's make those aggressive swings to conservative targets. Let's don't think about all the negatives. How about that yeah. positive ending? Ev? Is that fun right there? For yeah. Dales? I just love how daily kind of ended on stop trying to play the shot. You want play the shot you got. Yeah. You know, like, and look, I get it. Sometimes it's easier said than done. Sometimes a two way miss is there and I can't solve that overnight. You know, but you solve it at the range. Right. Right. Yeah. But if I walk into the round and I've got one, I get it. Sometimes it's tough to really feel comfortable and confident. But as Bob Rotella told us, golf's hard enough. So your chances of having a good swing with bad thoughts goes way down. So you might as well give yourself good thoughts. Whether you believe them or not, you might as well think something good. Well, and Ev, Dale says you solve it at the range because you have to convince yourself not to overcompensate. Right. Well, that's what <laughs> Harrington, that's what Harrington told Rotella. Harrington said, keep me honest on the exact quote, sir, but he said, I know that my last thought is going to impact this shot. And if I let my last shot impact this thought, if I miss that one way right, 
even if I'm trying not to miss it right, now this shot is going to be compensated and could go way left. So even if you do have a two-way miss, the actual thinking of trying to prevent them creates a better chance for the two-way miss to happen because of compensation, right? So I think, Daly, you're a perfect example of that. I think the takeaway from today is in one scenario, you were doing a lot of what everyone else was doing, maybe at Coastal, nothing bad about Coastal, but just didn't match you. And then you were finally kind of given the freedom to play within yourself and you learned to play shots you were comfortable with. You practiced the right things. You didn't get yourself tired or too bogged down. You focused on being fresh. And, and you and, won back-to-back times. And golf is not your identity as much as we want it to be. Right, Tails? Oh, absolutely. And that's why what you guys are doing is, is so huge because, yeah, playing golf obviously makes it – or playing good golf makes it more fun. But – to do that, you know, you got to go about it the right way. You got to think the right way. And, and there's nothing wrong with being positive and, and almost kind of happy go lucky on the golf course. It's, it's only going to make your experience even better. I mean, how many times do you, do you shoot good scores when you're in a terrible mood? Not very often. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're, if you're having a great day, if you're excited about being out at the course, if you're in a good mood and you're thinking the right way, better chance for success. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on that point daily, which I think is really important, is uh, a lot of people think that it's black or white. Like I either show up with a good mood or I show up with a bad mood, or I have good thoughts or I'm having bad thoughts. We're naturally going to have bad thoughts first. That's how we're wired. We're wired to avoid pain and suffering to survive. So... I want to reiterate what Daly just said with the encouragement and reminder that all of this stuff is a resetting practice. Whatever you think automatically, you notice it and you think something more productive. Like what you said at the beginning, make bad better, not worse. I think that's what I actually might call this episode, but I think that's a really great reminder of like, hey, Those times that you won, you probably didn't feel great the whole time. You probably had times that you were feeling down or you got caught up in what it meant or the moment and you came back and focused on what you're doing and you won. And and some some of my best events came after a a bad practice round because maybe I had to focus a little bit harder on how I was going to spin it, you know, how I was going to try to stay positive or or do certain things to overcompensate, you know, what not feeling great in the practice round. So yeah. you know, even if you're having some bad holes or, or, you know, even if it's a, a bad stretch, you know, you can always hit the reset button and come back from it. Love it. So Dales, where can the listeners find you on Instagram, on Twitter? Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not really on uh, Instagram or uh, Twitter too much, but uh, follow you guys on, on Instagram. Um, really, if I'd love, I'd love to find me at a Clear Creek golf car and utility vehicles. If they want to come by a, buy a club car, we'd love to help out with that. You know, Daly used to be a pro now he's on the golf cart side of the business. So, so if you guys need golf carts, you should contact Daly Young. Um, all right, before we close out, is there anything we didn't cover today that you think is important for the average player to hear? 
seeking out golf professionals to, to help. I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of money in golf, which rightfully so it's a great hobby and, and fun to do that. But, you know, don't be afraid to, to set some of that money aside for, for lessons and in getting help, not only on the golf course, but, you know, whether it's, you know, listen with you guys on sports psychology. Um, but I think using, using that, some of that money in your, in your hobby to, to get the instruction because that'll, you know, sometimes that'll make a, a lot bigger difference than, than a new driver or a new putter. You know, it's great to have the tools, but it's even better to know how to use those. So, you know, go out, find your local golf professional and, and take a lesson, you know, get out playing lessons, use the, use the range with them. But uh, I think that's also how you can really, really start to play better. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks for hopping aboard daily. I think there's a lot that's, of great nuggets here. And, it's a treat. Uh, yeah. Good to have you on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Appreciate it. Take care, Daly. Go Missouri State Bears. Yeah, go Bears. We'll see you.